0: Ladies and gents, boys and girls, you have arrived at Next Level Radio. I want to explain to you guys how freaking cool podcasting is, how cool people are. If you listen to our podcast with Luca Hosovar, we talked about hundreds of different things, and every single thing came back to people, came back to connections, came back to relationships. And... Man, It's so freaking cool, man. Uh, You have podcasts with people. They introduce you to other people. You get to know those people. You have podcasts. You make friends. Everything is just this big web. And today is no different. And I just, it's a blessing to have conversation in today's world. Some of these kids, a lot of these kids, you can't have these conversations, these deep, meaningful conversations. And when I say deep and meaningful, it's not freaking your deepest, darkest secrets. It's caring and having empathy and sympathy for another person and being able to relate to that person and have conversation with that person. And guess what? One year, five years, 20 years down the road, that connection's still there. Business ventures happen like this. Friendships happen like this. There's so many things that come into these relationships. And um, it's it's really humbling to be able to do something like that. And before I get into our amazing guest today, I want to uh, touch on the nitty-gritty, okay? So, the—well, first off, the Iron Chapel, um, we now have our in-season groups, our adult groups, and our off-season groups. So, if you have athletes in the area, bang, bada, boom— um, we finally got to the point, and I'm not, I, I, I don't want to sound rude when I say this. I want to sound confident. I want to sound, um, I say this because I truly believe this. And in the city of Dickinson and the surrounding areas, um, I'll, I'll preface it with this Me, myself, Colby Wartman, I am not the greatest general population trainer in the area. I think there's some people that do it better. Some person that does it better is my partner, Daniel Kerr. He is a way better general population trainer than I am. When it comes to athletics, um, again, this is just because I truly believe in this and I think I can elicit the best response for those athletes. So in the area of Dickinson, if you have an athlete that wants to reach the next level, if you have an athlete that wants to reach their potential or become pro or go to college or get a contract, whatever it is, I'm not being rude, but Most people would send them to me. You see what I'm saying here? Um, In the general area, um, I've put people in the pros. I've put people in college. I've had athletes excel at high school. It's It's my thing, man. I give every single thing I have to that athlete. Every single thing I have. Everything that I've learned over the years, I give to that athlete and it is in their hands. I'm going to give them every single tool I have, whether that's performance or injury prevention, I'm going to give it to them. And so, um, we have a few, and I'll say this, we have just a few openings in our, or excuse me, our in season group. And then in the first time in a year, I have one opening for an athlete for one-on-one. Um, by the time you probably hear this, it's probably going to be filled. Just put it out there anyways. Uh, one athlete opening for before school or after school. Ben, nutri man, dine man, nutri been We've been just getting after it on the supplement side, and I just got back from Power Athlete Collective, and we talked about two things. Vitamin C post-workout suppresses cortisol response, and L-citrulline prior to bed can increase your growth hormone by three to 500%. So, you want to get yoked. You want to stay anabolic, not catabolic. Those are two good options. Anyway, so we will have our 20% off for everybody that listens to the podcast. Get a hold of me, DM on Instagram, send me a message on Facebook. If you have my phone number, text me, call me. We will get you hooked up. We appreciate everybody that listens to the podcast. So, you will get the 20% off. All right. We talked about connections. We talked about, um, this weird web of people. Okay. So I have a client in town, a very great family, prominent name in town twos. Okay. So, um, I, I trained steel twos and steel has been just a hardworking son of a gun for me. Um, probably my dog's favorite client of mine. Just, he's a good, good kid. And very, very wise amongst his years and can actually have these conversations, can communicate with people very well. Well, long story short, Steele's aunt or aunt is uh, Julie Knoll. And Julie Knoll, without me even knowing, I'm a Denver Broncos fan. Julie Knoll is the concussion physical therapist for the Denver Broncos. Okay, Dude, Teddy Bridgewater, Teddy Bridgewater is looking good okay we haven't looked this good since old 18 the old sheriff was there okay julie noll is the, f- the concussion physical therapist for them she is the owner of neurobalance okay and i'll get into what that is um so she has a, her neurological clinical specialist very very um rare to have that certification she is on the olympic committee for concussions, and she was the owner of South Valley Physical Therapy for 19 years. After that, she founded Narrow Balance, and she has created the Cleared Concussion Protocol. If you guys know me, and you know my stories, I've had many, many serious concussions. Well, just last winter, I had a very serious concussion that actually caused short-term memory loss, and a lot of things that are very scary. And so, I have a soft spot in my heart, I have a protocol that I run with my athletes, and so we're going to talk shop, we're going to talk, what is the concussion, how does it work, what can we do to mitigate once it happens, and what can we do preventatively, so that we do not have much damage on the back end. Many very interesting things, I'm going to shut up, we're going to get Julie on the line, Next Level Radio, with Julie Knoll. All right, ladies and gentlemen, um, I gave a brief intro of Julie, and we are very blessed and grateful to have uh, somebody so busy and somebody making such a big impact that we can have you um, stop by on the podcast. So um, without any further ado, I'll kind of have you just introduce yourself for everybody.
1: Sure. Good morning. Uh, So I am uh, a fellow North Dakotan. Mm -hmm. Uh, my name is Julie Canole. I practice uh, in neurological physical therapy in the Denver metro area. Um, I graduated from the University of North Dakota physical therapy program in 1992 uh, and started my practice in Denver at that time. So I'm on year number 30 uh, in neurological physical therapy practice.
0: It's, uh, I, I ask people uh-huh. most of the time, can you hear me? Yes. Oh, okay. I, ask I me-
1: can hear you. You don't have, you have me?
0: Yep. You're good. You're good. Um, I ask me, I asked people most of the time, many people get into a profession for a very specific reason. Um, from what I've read and for what I've researched and what you're doing, uh, neurologic clinical specialist, uh, or specialist, there's not a lot of you guys. Uh, it's a very, it's a very tight knit group. And so what, what was your reasoning? What, what got you into what you're doing now?
1: Well, you're right. You know, people tend to have a personal journey associated with where they land professionally. Um, I was an athlete growing up, uh, and of course, then when you're a competitive athlete, you get injured, and so I had to go to physical therapy. Uh, I was a sophomore in high school, and that was my first exposure to PT for a knee sprain, and I was fascinated by the process of physical therapy, and I asked the clinician if he would allow me to come in and do some volunteer work, Uh, and... He he allowed me to do that and kind of took me under his wing and really helped me see what the field of physical therapy was all about. Um, And then I took a look at the career path and saw that that was a good fit for me. And uh, so I recording in progress. I um, applied to PT school and uh, at that time it was a four-year degree. Um, And so I went into PT school, and while I was finishing up PT school, I had my fourth concussion. Um, And at at that point, that was in 1991, we really didn't know much of anything about concussions. And it was, you know, as I'm sure you are experienced as well, uh, there was no attention paid to it, you know, Mm -hmm. just get up and get moving and you're fine. Um, so that really led me into a whole series of syndromes that cascaded one upon another. Um, and so while I was just starting my PT career at a large hospital in Denver, I got vertigo. Mm. Um, and I, I got dysautonomia, uh POTS, which we can talk about. It's a heart rate regulation problem. Um, and I have got migraines. So I was pretty miserable, um, but undiagnosed because there again at that point, nobody understood any of those syndromes. And I was treated for migraine for the head pain, but nobody understood the neurological sequelae that can come with migraine. Um, and so I just pushed forward. I was a fitness uh, instructor and a mm-hmm. physical therapist. Um, And so I was was very active, very busy, um, and really challenged um, to keep up. Uh, I was searching for a job, which at that time was in the newspaper. There was no such thing yet as Internet. (laughs) Uh, And um, a a job was posted for a neurologic specialty practice in Denver. And so I went and um, moved my practice to that private practice, which was a neurological specialty. Um, The woman who owned that private practice at that time had been um, a real trailblazer in vestibular rehab and in post-concussive therapy, although we didn't call it that at that time. Um, And so as I started working there, uh, we had a practice full of people who had head trauma at some point, many times several, Episode or several um, different points of head trauma in their life. They had headache and they were all dizzy. None, very few of them had a diagnosis. Mm. And so we just figured out with what we know about neuroscience and neurorehabilitation, how to help those patients. Um, we got, got involved in some clinical research at that time as well, just very small scale, just in our own practice. Uh, We aligned ourselves with some very high-level ear doctors and neurologists and ophthalmologists and optometrists uh, and psychologists to really try to understand what we were seeing in these patients. Um, And over about a 10-year process, we really were able to understand the pathophysiology that those patients were dealing with, and then how to help them get better. Um, In that journey, I also figured out how to get myself better, and uh, I took the first vestibular um, inner ear balance busy class that was taught in the United States um, in 1994, I believe that was, um, and learned what vestibular therapy was about, and then I did it on myself. and that's so I have a, a, a very personal understanding of the patients that I treat um, and a fairly high level professional scientific understanding of what they're going through on the inside. Yeah. Um, and so ultimately, that's how I focused my career. Um, I took the neurological specialty exam. You have to, ha- after five years, you have to be in uh, clinical practice for five years in your specialty before you can even sit to apply or apply to sit for that exam. Um, so I did that in 1997, um, the neurological specialty. And then the subspecialties of vestibular certification and concussion certification came after that. Um, they, it was a natural. Following.
0: A lot of people don't realize um, the severity, and I, it's, it's cool to see this evolution, right? Like this evolution of where we came from till now. And a lot of people's only knowledge of this is what they see on mainstream media, okay? The NFL, the NHL, the things that are making the big splash with all their big platforms. Um, a lot of times, what I've found, Julie, is some of the best people in the world in what they do had those same issues or problems prior to. And for me, my thing was, um, shoulders. I had three, um, shoulder surgeries, okay. Bicep, um, labrum, and it's a, it's a very hard surgery. So I really started diving into that. And then the two big things were definitely concussions and shoulders. And, um, my, my, my latest one was just, um, under a year ago, I was in Helena, Montana and I was snowboarding, and I went up the lift. My wife was getting her boots on, and I went up the lift, and I came down, and I hit two um, pretty big jumps, like a 10 and a 15-foot jump. Did it fine. Went back up the lift and did the same two jumps again. I hit the first one, and then the second one, I caught my edge of my board, and I went completely horizontal in the air. I was probably 15 feet in the air, and I landed right on the back of my head with a helmet on, and knocked myself out and probably slid 20 to 25 feet before I woke up. At that time, um, all my prior injuries were when I was younger, when I was in college. Um, and so you rebound a lot quicker. Well, this one was very scary because I I didn't want to express it. I was very scared. Um, and I think that's probably something that you deal with. People don't know. They don't know how to express it, um, what they're feeling. But I was having some very severe short-term memory loss issues, um, very severe, where I'd be on the phone with the family, and he said, dude, you just said that, or um, issues such as um, my memory recall was very, very hindered. And so then I started getting those, um, those inner emotional feelings and started getting angry because I can't do anything about it, and I'm feeling lost, and a lot of times, that's, I'm guessing that's what you have to deal with, these, these, uh, these symptoms that people don't know how to, how to really bear. Do you, you run into that quite a bit?
1: Absolutely. Uh, and I, I, there's several challenges wrapped up in that. Uh, the first is that even though there is much more awareness on concussion, there is still very little awareness in mainstream medical practice about how to treat a concussion and that concussion is a treatable uh, injury and that rest is not the answer. Yes. Uh, And so when people, if, well, let's say, first of all, if the individual seeks medical attention, even in, you know, metropolitan areas where we should have top experts in concussion They're not given the the proper medical advice and they're not given access to specialty intervention. Um, They're told just rest and you'll be better. And so people keep resting and they're not better. Um, And we can talk about that uh, when the time is right about proper timing of proper intervention. Um, Second thing is people think if I don't have a splitting headache, then I probably didn't get a concussion. Or if I did not lose consciousness, I didn't get a concussion. Um, They'll just say, well, I'll just be better tomorrow. And so I'll just push through, um, do what the day holds, and certainly I'll be better. Um, The brain learns very fast. And so the brain learns positive things very fast. The brain also learns how to maladapt. It learns negative behaviors very fast. And so if people are struggling with post-concussive symptoms and don't get intervention early, many of them will end up creating new pathways in their brain of dysfunction. Uh, And so they end up having increased symptoms over time instead of decreased symptoms over time. And those statistics are increasing just as people become more aware. Um, And so we used to say that 80% of people will recover from a concussion within two, within three weeks, and now that number is down more close to closer to 50%. So only 50% of people who have concussion are going to recover in three weeks. Anxiety is of course a big problem, and so is depression, in particular in the athletic population, uh, because when athletes are made to rest, that changes their physiology that they're accustomed to, and so then we have a whole nother syndrome. Um, of mood uh, and energy and autonomic nervous system regulation problems that are coming just because there's not enough activity. Um, There's not enough exercise. Uh, And then, you know, that can just spiral, particularly in people who have a previous history um, of any head trauma, migraine disorder, uh, any mood challenges that they're coming into head trauma with. They're much more vulnerable. Yeah. And so your experience having had previous concussions, uh, being an athlete, um, not, not perhaps being guided properly um, would have put you more at risk for feeling the emotions that you felt surrounding your injury, yeah. which can be secondary rather than a primary part of the neurotrauma.
0: Just my most recent uh, concussion, did I actually take the steps and the care to properly um, rehab from that concussion. Um, We'll get into it here um, a little later, but I got to be just uh, connections through people. That's kind of how you and I met. Um, I got to be acquaintances with uh, Dr. Robert Silverman, Um, and he was Rob Gronkowski's um, doctor for a little while, and he made his concussion protocol. And so I was able to go through that, um, the proprioceptive, the nutrition all that to um now i would say just as good or better from where i was a year ago today and so what do you think um cuz you've seen it from that whole evolution from even prior to 1991 all the way through what was the turning point what what got us actually thinking was it so many deaths was it the boston study was it stanford study like what was that turning point for us to actually give resources to the concussion recovery
1: Uh, I think there are several. Some of that depends on where in the country uh, you are and what you're influenced by. Um, But I I think there are a few things that really helped us gain more awareness. Here in Colorado, uh, we had a death of a high school football player um, from second impact syndrome, which is a very rare syndrome, but nonetheless, it's what killed this young man. Um, Jake Snakenberg was his name, and uh, so we have had legislation here in Colorado, which I believe was the first in the country, to mandate return or removal from play in, in any instance where there was suspicion of potential concussion for the age group 11 to 19-year-olds. Um, and so in that law here, all the coaches in the school district and club had to go through concussion training um, to be able to identify accurately concussion and then are mandated by law to keep an athlete out of play um, along with all of the athletic trainers um, what, what So year we was had this? that here uh, What year was this? I don't know the year exactly mm-hmm. um, it's probably been uh, 10 or more years okay. ago okay when that happened here um so we have state legislation um additionally the awareness in professional sports came i think from a couple of different avenues getting their stories out uh, for people to hear uh, about their journeys not only with acute concussion but persistent post-concussive symptoms um and media getting their getting um hold of stories of suicides in the uh, retired NFL population and in the um, martial arts fighting boxing population, Parkinson's disease and boxers. Um, The the neurotrauma in people who are in collision and contact sports was gradually becoming more and more frequent. I also think then that the NFL Players Association um, really was able to get a large platform um, as they worked with the NFL to come to some agreements on how to care for retired players. That then made it more acceptable for active players to speak up. Um, The statistics are still pretty alarming about how many concussions occur through all levels of sport that are never identified because the athlete won't, can't, um, speak about any symptoms they're experiencing, or there's pressure put upon them um, to return before they're ready. Um, and then, science, of course, you know, more and more science being published about what happens in concussion, both from an immediate acute situation and from a long term um, maladaptive process. Uh, and so, there's several layers of things that happened that really put us into awareness and being able to take some action. Um, And we got a long way to go yet, actually.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think it's got a lot better, um, but it's still intertwined in the culture of even I say, I would say NHL is still far behind even what the NFL is doing. And it's still bred into the culture of, Rub some dirt on it and keep going. It's got a ton better, but again, just as you said, we have a long way to go. But I think you have done some great things to mitigate that in your area, and then also push that out to the larger populations. And um, for people that don't know, I would like to really dive into your your cleared concussion uh, program. So, just doing a little bit of research here and there, I uh, I just want to I want you to kind of give the overall basis, how you guys are attacking this from day one through the cleared concussion program.
1: Uh, yeah, so it is a multifactorial, uh, program. Um, it is, it was born out of sole practice, um, as a physical therapist in the trenches, trying to help patients get better, as I described, uh, many years ago. Um, and as things have unfolded, I ha- I in- would always prefer to have a larger team available. Um, in terms of medical providers, and sometimes that's available and sometimes it isn't. Um, but the, the concussion protocol that I wrote um, really starts at first with a review of the patient's medical history. So everybody who's coming in is either acutely concussed or experienced concussion at some point, and some of them don't even enter care until years later, unfortunately. Um, so the beginning of it is finding out what their medical history is because that's ultimately very insightful and critical for their risks for protracted recovery um, and kind of drives the different set of interventions that we'll consider at different timelines. Um, and so the history taking is really looking for things about in their immune system profile, um, past head injuries, of course, any history of migraine in the individual or in their family, any history of autonomic nervous dysfunction uh, genetically or in the patient, uh, learning disorders, mood disorders, uh, previous levels of physical activity, whether they're an athlete or not, how active or sedentary had they been, and what does their diet typically look like? Um, all of those things are very key factors in helping to identify protracted risk um Of longer recovery which takes more careful intervention at the beginning Uh, so that's where it starts Um, moving on then into clinical testing uh, there are different categories that we put uh, post concussive injury into Um, and so those are all evaluated and so those categories are physiologic which is really the cellular membrane exchanges Um, that are occurring in the brain and the nutritional and blood flow problems that are associated with that if we're in an acute phase. Um, The second being the autonomic nervous system. Uh, Most patients with head trauma are in sympathetic overdrive and have low parasympathetic tone and high sympathetic tone. And that can present itself in several different ways. Um, And so that system is evaluated. Um, The vestibular system, which is our gyroscope for sensory orientations, kind of the king of the hill um, in terms of uh, how the brain will interpret where we are in space and who's moving, whether it's me or the world, Uh, also drives our balance reactions. So balance, of course, is evaluated as well. The next category is eye movement problems. So people have tracking issues, blurred vision, slow eye movements, um, problems with eye-head coordination. Um, Beyond that, then the next categories really are what I consider multifactorial, which means that the previous ones I just mentioned can contribute to mood disorders, sleep disturbance, cognitive problems, um, thinking issues. Um, Those can be primarily concussive symptoms, but very often they're from the preceding categories. Um, And so we are putting less and less um, importance uh, immediately on, say, for example, a cognitive test. Um, It's helpful for us. It's part of of a sideline test called the SCAT-5, which is what's used in almost all levels of play on a sideline with athletes to determine a concussion. Um, It is very helpful, but we have to understand that it's influenced by all of these other systems as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And then if there's been a traumatic part, if there's been a fall, sports injury, a car accident, then uh, whiplash mechanisms and neck injuries need to be considered also. Um, So each of those areas are tested. Uh, And then we'll also talk about very key features of hydration, nutrition, and supplementation um, that need to start as soon as possible. Pacing, uh, how much rest, how much exercise, um, that's Initially, within the, if somebody comes to see me within the first 24 to 72 hours, that's a lot of what we're discussing in terms of treatment. Um, after that, then, we'll be starting training programs for the categories of dysfunction that were identified in the testing. The other providers that I may be able to use for resources um, would be physicians, especially functional medicine trained, Um, who can help us identify um, any other problems with mast cell activation or inflammation types of issues. Um, Psychology, uh, sports psychologists uh, can be very helpful at the beginning as well. Um, Head scans are kind of falling out of favor because they don't identify concussion. Uh, And so the practice patterns now are not even advising for head scans in a concussive event. Interesting. Um, unless there's been a high acceleration. Um, if there's been high accelerate, high force, then head scans are still done. Um, but in young people they're not very commonly used um, because we understand that they really what they do is rule out bleeding. Um, they're not going to rule in or out a concussion. Um, and so if there has been an injury that isn't such a high speed impact, head, head scans are not being done. Um, and then we just move forward from there at the patient's pace. Um, you know, I, I get asked a lot, all, all the time because I work within the pro arena. How is it that you can observe a hit on the field or on the ice that looks incredibly disastrous? Um, and the person can be back in play within seven to 10 days. How does that actually happen? Um, and, and on the flip side of that coin is how come somebody can be rear ended at 15 miles an hour? And have very disabling symptoms for weeks to months Um, and it's easy to make a judgment outside judgment call on that and how that may look to be impossible but it actually is possible Um, and a lot of that will circle back around again to their pre-existing conditions and what they're coming into an injury with in terms of their overall health picture Um, so within the protocol there are very specific um, guidelines set up within each of those categories of how to test and then how to treat. So it's very specific. It is not generalized. Um, it's, it's focused specifically to the individual. Um, one of the generalized rules, however, does fall under nutrition um, and activity. Uh, what we know from, from all the research that's coming out in the last five years is that we really shouldn't be resting more than two to three days. Um, studies that look at people who were advised to be active relative to people who were advised to rest um, more than three days. People who rested longer than three days take longer to recover, and those studies have been reproduced a number of times. Um, there's also studies about hydration and nutrition, um, and the patients who are hydrated and properly nourished will recover faster. Uh, and so those are some general principles that are followed for everybody. The exact timing, uh, of course, is dependent upon the severity of the and how active they were before. Mm-hmm.
0: I, I really like, uh, I, again, I got to dive into, um, a, a supplementation nutrition protocol when I had mine and that's what I really want to dive into with you. Um, so a few things, I kind of have a threefold, um, not question, but a uh, statement here. So the use of opiates, the use of supplements, and then kind of the misconceptions. And you touched on those misconceptions because even in acute structural um, muscular injuries, joint injuries, the use of rest has been a staple. And a lot of times the, the rice method has been recalled. Um, a lot of these things that include rest, rest, rest until pain is gone, and then just go back to it, ends up in a very negative story. And so a lot of times, um, I was looking up some articles, 70 to 80% of patients that enter a general medical, um, hospital or clinic come out with a prescription. So 70 to 80% of those. And they're showing that there's this really strong correlation between opiate treatment and rate of healing in chronic wounds. And, um, So the fact that we have this intertwined system of opiate use and then, um, a lot of anecdotal, um, stories and studies showing that we're healing much slower. And, um, then you get into the supplementation and you're, you're talking about very individualized approaches and your understanding is much deeper and more understood than my own. Um, but through the use of treating my athletes concussions and myself, Um, A lot of it comes back to raising BDNF, if I'm correct. Um, If we can really increase the neurotropic factors, we can help on that end with supplementation. And so a lot of the um, treatment that I went through, um, I have my list right here, is we need to post-concussion and we need to increase protein intake. We need to increase our omega-3s. We need to um, really intake um, and be serious about magnesium L3 and 8 as it can pass the blood-brain barrier. Um, And then we also um, showed prior to, and a lot of the new studies show that creatine has a huge role to play in cognitive development and uh, chronic disease. And so increase your creatine, vitamin D, and curcumin. And so this is this whole um, supplementation uh, protocol that I went through. I'm very interested to hear from you because this is a again a general. There's a range of dosages and it's general. Say, hey, you have a severe concussion. We need to increase protein, omega threes, magnesium, L three and eight, creatine, vitamin D, or cumin. So um, I, I would love I would love to hear from you and kind of how you guys attack that end on nutrition and supplementation.
1: Um, there's it's an exploding field, um, as you know, nutraceutical interest is. Intensifying even within Western medicine, which is fantastic. Um, Moving away from synthetic symptom covering types of options and moving into cellular healing, as you described. Um, And that comes from what we're given from the earth, you know, um, as opposed to something that was made in a lab. Um, And so in head trauma specifically, the bottom line is inflammation and so that, that's really everything that we look at for head trauma and nutrition and nutraceutical supplementation really circles back to inflammation and the reason for that is because head trauma makes the blood-brain barrier break down. Um, it is seen on scans so we know it now there is no dispute about the fact that head trauma creates a blood-brain barrier breach. So that now means that the brain, which is normally a very sterile environment um, that does not have any flow from the rest of our body into it, now is vulnerable to things that are floating around the rest of our body. And some of those are just normal things like, you know, normal mast cell um, things that normally would our immune system would respond to to help us clear out toxins that we take in through our gut and that we are exposed to in the environment. Um, and with that blood-brain barrier breach comes inflammation, um, and so that's really where we are at right now. I, I think that we'll learn a lot more uh, about some of the the other items that you were discussing. Um, but what what the current trends are in helping people pre- prepare their cells for healing and support their cells in healing beyond the physical medicine that I mentioned. Um, first and foremost and most often overlooked is simply hydration. Uh, most people do not drink enough good water. Uh, they drink a lot of other stuff that um, isn't good for them. Um, and especially young people. And so the first thing I tell them is you have to be drinking at least half your body weight in ounces of water every single day, at least. And we should all be doing that anyway, but most people aren't. So that's first. Um, second is magnesium. Uh, magnesium glycinate. Uh, and the way I tell it to patients is it's, it, it soothes your brain. Uh, it's very helpful for restorative sleep. Um, And so the the dosage that we recommend for magnesium glycinate is 400 milligrams um, taken at night. Um, Omega-3 fatty acids are also very critical, as you know. um, And so I uh, encourage patients to supplement. Um, Let me back up first by saying I always prefer that that we talk about what foods they're eating first. Mm -hmm. Um, because supplements are just that, right? They're supposed to supplement a healthy diet. Um, So if we eat a bad diet and then we take supplements, we're missing the initial phase. Um, And so backing up first into diet, um, and here again, you have to consider people's medical history and whether or not they're diabetic, uh, whether or not they may have kidney problems, um, if they have gluten intolerance or other issues that they're coming to the table with. Um, So I do always talk to them first about diet. So acutely, if they can and are willing to eat fish, um, the the, the food groups that we know are high in omega-3 fatty acids, so can they eat fish, eggs, nuts, seeds, those in particular, um, will help them right out of the gate. And if that's not their typical diet, I ask them to make it their medicine diet. The second food group then we consider besides omegas is quercetin, which is a plant flavonoid that's anti-inflammatory. And so food groups that are high in quercetin are leafy greens um, and berries. So blueberries, cherries, raspberries. um, And again, a lot of people aren't really great in that area of their diet in the first place. Um, so I am also in the process of writing a food blog because it's that important to me. I'm a physical therapist and I'm starting to undergo functional nutrition training um, and being able to give patients ideas like here's what you need to eat. You don't get to have cereal with milk in the morning now. <laughs> You're going to have smoked salmon with some spinach and berries blended up uh, with some coconut oil and some cinnamon in it and you'll actually like it. Yeah. Um, uh, Let's see, other areas, flaxseed, I failed to mention, perhaps. Um, And then the other thing that we're looking at removing, so when we talk about diet, we're talking about what do we add and what should we take out. Um, And so the food groups that are inflammatory to all of us are gluten and dairy. Um, And this happens also in people who do not have celiac disease and do not have lactose intolerance. So we're not talking about lactose. We're talking about the products of dairy um, and that it is a pro-inflammatory food. And so I encourage people to consider gluten-free, dairy-free diet in any neurological syndrome um, because it creates inflammation in our gut, which then comes into our bloodstream. And now we have a leaky brain barrier. And now we get those inflammatory molecules coming into our brain. Um, And so that kind of covers the very basics of food. We can also encourage people to take in turmeric. Uh, We can encourage them to take in ginger. Those are additional spices that will help people uh, with anti-inflammation. Then we can say, okay, now let's see what we can supplement in terms of something you can take to add into your nutrition. Um, and so B2 is a very, uh, riboslavin is another uh, very well-studied vitamin. Um, it helps in migraine syndrome. It helps with headaches after concussion. Um, and so typically the recommended dosage for that is 200 milligrams taken twice a day. I do have to warn people that will make urine turn bright, bright yellow. Um, so they have to be aware of that so they don't get worried about what that's looking like. Uh, We can supplement beyond um, our diet with additional omega-3 because a lot of people just can't get enough of it in their diet, especially if they're not willing or don't like to eat fish. Um, And so my favorite product for that is barley and fish oil or flaxseed oil. Um, It tastes good. Kids will take it. You can give it to a three-year-old and they'll love it. Um, And that's got a 1,000 milligrams of omega-3 in it per tablespoon. Um, And so depending on their size, You know, they can take two, three, four, five, or six times that amount Mm. to help them get enough omega-3 fatty acids. Um, We can also supplement with quercetin. Uh, There is quercetin supplements available. Um, Again, the best way to get that because it's a plant flavonoid is just to actually eat plants, Um, eat your leafy greens and eat your berries. Um, But if you're not going to get enough, um, you can supplement with that as well. Typically, people are saying 500 to 1,000 milligrams a day on that. ProQ10 is another pretty well-studied enzyme in uh, anti-inflammatory properties, Um, and so that can be on the list also. But again, I just can't emphasize enough how I will prefer that people clean up their diet and use food uh, first, and then we can supplement after. Um, Creatine has also got some good um, basis in the literature to be helpful for the, the neurotropic healing process after head trauma. Uh, we don't. We're not real clear at this point. At least I'm not in what I read about how much and who should take it. Um, but it is helpful and it is commonly recommended for people to take um, in the setting of concussion. Most of what I read on that is in animal studies. We don't have many in the way of human studies on it, um, and there is some discussion about how it's actually more useful before an injury. So yeah. if it's something that you use in your workout uh, supplementation and then get a concussion, um, if you have a healthy brain anyway, going into it, you'll be better off. Um, but it's a, it's a, uh, looking like it's a pretty useful supplement for ap- athletes to be having, mm-hmm. um, in case they get a concussion. Um, so, so that's where I kind of start with, nutrition and supplementation and again just to repeat the most important which is inflammation we're looking to stabilize the cells in the brain that drive inflammation those are called mast cells um and so they we inflame when we're injured that's part of our healing process but in many patients it just goes overboard our inflammatory process um and can be something that pr- that makes us get a longer recovery
0: yeah if a lot of athletes and patients um alike can realize this. And I realized this once I was going through, um, my, my exercise fizz and going through my master's, every chronic disease is linked back to inflammation. And if we can really, really grasp that we can have a larger impact than we think. And, um, it's, it's very interesting that creatine can be used prophylactically as, um, a preventative and, um, so yeah, I, I see some of that uh, those different layers. Um, one question I did have on that: you recommend um, glycinate over like an L three have you ever are those kind of synonymous? Um, what's your what's your thought process on that?
1: Um, I don't I don't ultimately know the answer to your question in terms of the chemical makeup of the different magnesiums. Um, the three that I'm most familiar with is magnesium citrate, followed by oxide followed by glycinate. Mm. Um, And the reason we don't use citrate is because it is irritable to the bowel um, and actually used to help with constipation, Um, it's a laxative. And so people can't take enough of that uh, without GI upset. Uh, Magnesium glycinate is just a little bit newer on the scene for something that is more readily absorbed for brain. but, I, again, I think it's such a current hot topic of really looking at the different pairing, uh, the chemistry of what you put one element with, another, to how, and, and how it's more readily absorbed. Um, that's one of the other challenges we have with supplements, with oral supplementation, is how do we know what our gut is capable of absorbing? And the traditional American diet is so pro-inflammatory, um, that people end up with nutritional deficits because they're not able to absorb nutrients wow. from their food they're eating just because their guts too inflamed. Um, so we need a lot more research in the area of specific chemistries um, and how do we how do we help the gut to absorb then the proper chemistry that we're putting in. Yeah. Um, so it is a hot topic. There's lots of, of studying going on. So we'll learn a lot more hopefully in the next five years.
0: Yeah, hopefully I, uh, if I obviously like you said, and you put very uh, big importance on it is clean up the diet first. And a lot of times I've had, um, people that as they're cleaning up the diet, um, doing, uh, utilizing a prebiotic and a probiotic to help with that absorption levels. Um, and again, it is a supplement so that we can have the clean diet first, because the clean diet first is going to help the gut microbiome much more than a probiotic. Um, so we've, we've used that synonymously with a lot of my athletes that have had that. And a lot of times we're parents, um, because again, as you have demonstrated very well, this is a whole career path. This is a whole new thing. I mean, people that aren't subject to the research and the day in, day out in the trenches, like you said, don't realize that there's so much more to this, that it's, there's so much more to what we can learn. And a lot of us as parents or athletes are stuck in the old narrative, the misconceptions of concussions. And so you touched on the, one of the main ones, um, rest is not your friend. Um, up to that 48-hour mark, like we need to get in a lot of proprioceptive work, maybe some, um, a little bit of low-intensity cardio work. We need to get these things in. But what are some of these other common misconceptions that we've dealt with that you're trying to uh, battle the BS on an everyday basis?
1: Oh, there's so many of them. Um, Let's see. One that's interesting to me always is I have somebody come in and they, well, they call for their appointment and they say that I have a concussion. Uh, And so we schedule their appointment and they come in and their first thing they tell me is their concussion was, you know, two years ago and they are concussed. Uh, And so one of the, one of the opposite misnomers from concussion just is transient and clears up in everybody and within a few hours is the opposite, which is that you get a concussion and you're forever concussed if your symptoms don't go away. Um, So that's a common misnomer. Um, Brain chemistry restores itself within 30 days uh, in terms of the concussion process itself. It can restore itself much faster than that. But as I told you, the brain learns. And so the brain learns to maladapt. And so then people can have persistent vestibular problems Uh, It's the the most vulnerable system to persistent dysfunction, as is the eye tracking system. And so people can have long-term, what feels like permanent lightheadedness, dizziness, brain fog, intermittent blurry vision, which also then can lend itself to headache. Um, And so people feel just like they felt right after concussion for months and months and months later. Uh, And only because those disorders weren't identified and treated properly. Um, another uh, common misconception is I shouldn't exercise until I don't have a headache. Um, I shouldn't exercise until my symptoms go away. And one of the more shocking tests for patients to go through and for parents of, of adolescents, they can't believe I'm going to put them on a treadmill and have to um, it's done carefully. I'm being a little bit facetious about that. Their nice. heart rate is monitored and their symptoms are monitored every minute. Um, and often what happens is they've got a, let's say they come into the clinic with a five out of a 10 headache and we're going to do a treadmill test. And I carefully explain why that's safe and why I'm choosing to proceed with that in that particular person after clearing them from a, for a lot of other issues. And as we start to exercise, their headache goes down. And as they start to sweat, their headache goes down even further. And they, by the end of the test, may have a zero to a one out of a 10 headache. And they have just had their first workout after their injury. Um, So that's another really common problem is that people are told you have to keep resting until your symptoms go away. And that is exactly the opposite of the accurate advice. You do need to be guided by a professional who knows how to give you the proper exertion boundaries um, because it can flip. So for example, we can be on the treadmill, we're exercising and headache starts to go down and then as heart rate rises past a certain threshold for that individual, their headache will start to go back up Um, and that's an autonomic system dysfunction. At that point, they're not getting enough blood flow to their brain. So then we have to give them a guide that says, okay, you you need to exercise but you need to keep your heart rate below X. Mm -hmm. So I'll give them a minimum and a maximum heart rate um, but but that is a, a very common misnomer is don't exercise until you are symptom free. Yeah. Um, the other one is this cocoon concept um, which is basically be in the dark with no stimuli. Yes. Um, that is profoundly detrimental um, and still advised in some degree. So the idea of not allowing anyone any screen time or any auditory stimulus is not helpful. It, it lowers the threshold for sensory stimulus to become too low until people become even more light-sensitive and more sound-sensitive. Mm. So what I tell people now is different than what I told people even five years ago about that. Um, so I give them specific guidelines, especially um, younger people who are used to looking at their phones, you know, continually through the day. We do want to decrease that. Um, but we're no longer saying you may not pick up your phone. You may not turn on the TV and you may not look at your computer. Mm-hmm. Um, that's old. That is old news. So you want to limit it. You want to limit your screen time and limit your exposure to, to light and to loud noise. Uh, so for example, um, hockey players, I don't want them in the, in the rink. So once they're concussed, I ask them to leave the rink because it's loud and bright. Um, and so that's too much. But I'm not going to take your phone away from you. I'm just going to ask you to set it down. But if somebody texts you, sure, you can pick up your phone and text back. Um, so we need a, a moderate uh, reduction, not a complete reduction in sensory stimulus in those first 48 hours after head trauma. Um, I think those are the ones that that are most significantly different and maybe most surprising to people um, about misconceptions. Um, The final thing I want to say is about symptoms at time of injury and misconceptions. We do not need to lose consciousness to get a concussion, number one. Number two is loss of consciousness is not the primary predictor of severity. That's also very surprising to people. The most common predictor of severity is dizziness. So if you're dizzy with your injury, you're seven times more likely to have a protracted recovery than you are if you have a headache at the time of injury or if you lose consciousness. Um, And so that is another really big surprise to people. So they'll say, well, I didn't lose consciousness, so I didn't have a concussion. That is false. Um, And they will say, well, I don't have much of a headache. I'm nauseous and I'm dizzy and I'm blurry, but I really don't have, or maybe I had a headache for a couple of hours, but that cleared up pretty quickly. Therefore, I must not have much of a concussion. That is absolutely false. Um, there are 23 identified symptoms for concussion, um, and headache is only one of them. Uh, and so it's that circles around again to why it's so important after head trauma to meet with a professional who is very specialized and on top of their game for concussions. Because if you find yourself week one, seven days out, and you're still feeling not yourself, it is absolutely time to be proactive. Mm -hmm. Um, In a perfect world, we want that within 48 hours. But um, don't go longer than seven days without getting with a professional. Um, if you feel anything out of the norm for yourself, even if you have no headache and even if you didn't lose consciousness.
0: Wow. What is, what is the physiology behind, uh, how do I, how do I word this? What, why is dizziness the, a great indicator of severity? What's the f- physiology behind that?
1: Mm-hmm. That's a great question. So in concussion, we used to say the biggest part of the brain damage came from the concept of, um, you have a skull inside of a brain that shifts and the brain can move forward and get, get Im- impact on the front side of the brain. And then it can move backward and get impact on the back side of the brain. And so the medical word for that is coup contra coup. And so we have this shift, and it, it was thought to be a cortical injury, which means it's the top part of the brain, the, the part that's closest to the bone of the skull on the inside. And what we know now is that while that isn't untrue, the shifting that goes like this inside, the fulcrum is in the brainstem. Mm-hmm. And so when we have this shift, most of the stretching of the nerves is in the brainstem. And so concussion injury is almost always, well, it's always in the brainstem. Whether or not it extends above the brainstem depends on how much force occurs. Um, And so it is a brainstem injury first and foremost, even in the most minor of concussions. The brainstem is the place that gets the shearing force. And so that's the place that the chemistry changes start happening. That is the place that will make you lose consciousness in a more severe um, uh, mechanism, uh, or a more immediate crisis, um, but the vestibular—all of the nerve fibers for our vestibular system, for our eye tracking system, and for our autonomic system, which regulates our heart rate and blood pressure, uh, and for our mood system—are in our brainstem and the structures immediately above it. So they're they're very deep, um, and so that's why. The vestibular system and the eye tracking system are the most common, common, uh, in terms of where the impact is. It's, it's in the brainstem. And the heart rate and blood pressure regulation system is there too. And so is our fight or flight center. And so you mentioned after your injury how you were feeling really scared, emotional. Um, that is not just because you aren't a tough human. Uh, emotionally that's because the emotional regulation centers in the brain low low just uh, within and above the brainstem and so people have they feel startled they feel on edge um, they might actually startle you know a friend just kind of walks up to them and they jump um, that is a neuro, neurological regulation problem within that fight-or-flight mechanism which is in that lower part of the brain um, and that's why those systems are injured and that's why they can be dysfunctional for such a long time um, because the brain then will learn to change how it operates. And I could go into that for a long, long time, but yeah. um, I- uh, so we, we move away from this concept of coup contra coup and that the brain hits the skull. That's, that actually is not the definition of concussion. Um, when that happens, swelling. And, and sometimes bleeding can be seen on MRI in the cortical areas of the occipital lobe in the back and the frontal lobe in the front. Um, and in the definition of concussion, we have a normal MRI. We don't have any swelling or, or um, visible trauma in those areas of the brain. Um, in stands that are not yet available commercially, um, they look at de- uh, deposition of water and change in cellular function, and that's all in the brainstem. Mm. Uh, and the MRIs are completely normal.
0: Wow, I, I hope people, um, what you just said is going to be a sound bite. It's going to be a highlight of what we just said, because, um, even me being, having some type of knowledge, um, and basis behind these concussions, I did not realize that dizziness was the best indicator or one of the best indicators for severity. And, um, sadly, a lot of people, um, I mean that dizziness, if it's very mild, they're not alarmed by that. They just think that's a normal thing of concussion. As soon as they're getting jarring and rearing headaches and all this stuff or a loss of consciousness, like you said, that's when they, their alert goes off and they say, Hey, I need help. But that dizziness is so interesting to me because I, I, I had that dizziness and I lost consciousness. Um, and so it's, it's very interesting to me. I hope that everybody that's listening to this right now Keys into that because that could be, that could be make or break. That could be a big deal of getting this concussion um, behind us. If uh, right.
1: because if you're only asking people, tell me about your headache, and they say I don't have one, and then you stop there and say, okay, good, you don't have a concussion, mm. you're good to go. Um, it's that is, and in the athlete world, um, in sports that use eye head tracking and balance. Um, If you put an athlete back on the field and their eye tracking is slow and their balance is off, they're at risk for several things. Um, They're at risk for another concussion. They don't see somebody coming from their periphery because they have peripheral visual uh, restriction that we didn't know about if we didn't look for it. Um, You mentioned the proprioceptive system. So the risk for ACL injury after concussion is very high. Yeah, I was Um, just going to say that. There are several studies. Um, that look at ACL injury after concussion, Um, and that can be because their vestibular ocular proprioceptive system wasn't tested properly and wasn't rehabbed properly. You don't have a headache, you're good to go. We're putting you back in, Um, and then that is really doing a disservice to that individual for uh, risk for, for other additional injuries.
0: Yeah. I was just going to say that there's uh, multiple studies about um, concussion and onset of f- future ACL injuries. It's uh, it's alarming. Um, as we as we kind of uh, start wrapping up here a little bit, I want to know um, one: what is your uh, role with uh, the Denver Broncos? And then also, what are some trends that you're seeing? Um, as it pertains to concussions, whether that's, um, awareness or acceptance in what you're doing, what are these trends that you're seeing in professional sports?
1: Uh, so my role with the Denver Broncos is I am their concussion therapist, if you will. Um, So I don't, I'm not on the sidelines. I don't travel with the team. I can't get your tickets. (laughs) Um, People ask me all the time. (laughs) Uh, um, So when a player is concussed, uh, they go into concussion protocol. um, And I see them two to three days after um, day two or day three, depending on the player and the injury. Uh, And so then they go through all of the testing that anybody who comes to my clinic goes through. Um, they have other professionals, of course. Um, the Denver Broncos are, in my opinion, in the lead um, of what I see in um, in other with other teams around the country. Uh, Steve Antonopoulos was one of the earlier uh, trainers to want to expand the program there, so their concussion program is really fantastic, um, and and being followed up with other programs around the country. Um, so uh, they will go through all of the, the testing that I mentioned in those different categories with me. And then if we identify impairments, then uh, the pro- program is prescribed. I prescribe that and then the training staff uh, run through that for the player uh, at the facility every day. Um, so that's my role with the Broncos. Um, I have been invited to other teams to go train training staff hmm. in, in more specific, um, c- b- very specific uh, and expanded protocols much beyond the NFL. The NFL protocol itself is very minimal. Um, and so teams are getting more interested in expanding their concussion protocols beyond what the NFL requires, uh, out of the best interest of their players, uh, which is, is is really a culture shift from um, historically, you just got your bell rung and get back in. Um, so it, it is um, the awareness is there. Uh, culture is shifting, and support is being provided to players like never before. Um, NFL, I also think, is in the lead, um, and they are doing a, a much better job with taking care of their players. Um, other professional sports are, are paying attention, um, but they've got a longer way to go. Um, so I see a lot of NHL players. I see a lot of UFC fighters completely ironic, I get it, Um, but they need help too. Um, I I see things that are surprising, you know, swimmers. Um, They Mm -hmm. hit their head against the wall, for example. People you wouldn't think are in any kind of collision or contact sport, um, baseball players. I see some NBA players as well. Um, The other interesting part of this field that I love is something I call neural performance, and that is for the individual who isn't concussed. Um, who want to optimize their play. And the way they can do that is through making their reflexes faster, through their vestibular ocular system and their proprioceptive system. And so optimizing their speed, speed times of how their sensory system perceives what's going on with their body and their environment, with the ball, with other players, will make them move faster and will make them more accurate. Um, And so that's a really fun aspect of my career also that I like. I see a lot of players off season um, who either had a concussion last season. They feel like they never really got back ahead of it um, or feel like, you know, maybe I haven't ever had a concussion, but I just want to be better. Uh, Wide receivers um, in particular having to run fast with their head turned backward and catch a ball. Um, And so that's been a really fun um, aspect as well, both in the
0: NHL and in the NFL. Wow. I, I really like that. Um, if we can move forward um, outside of just Western medicine, move forward to very proactive approaches. How can we be better before the concussion happens? It's very interesting. I, uh, here in North Dakota, you don't get as many as in Denver, Colorado, but um, I have a good friend and uh, athlete that played for the Eagles for a little while. Um I was training him prior before he went to the Eagles and then he is now at the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in Canada. And he's one of those guys that we really really work on. He's a DB, so his whole game is made off of reaction to stimuli. He has to be able to react quicker to the offensive player and that's who wins. And so we do a ton of a lot of proprioceptive work, but outside of that, reaction work don't anticipate my voice or don't anticipate the whistle or don't anticipate set hut, react to it. And so we we're really working on a lot of these um reaction things with these high level athletes. And then once a high school athlete that is proficient enough, we really hammer home those reactions because again, speed kills. That is what makes great athletes. And so it's very interesting to see that we are finally getting not a getting away from, but getting Um, past just the repercussions and the treatment of concussions and trying to become better, which is very cool. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, I I, I usually wrap up with one question and I I, I want to um, present this question to you and see kind of where you're at with it. And you've already had an amazing, um, career through this. I believe you owned a separate practice for many years prior to correct. Right. Like almost Uh 20 years. Yep. So, uh, Uh um, what outside of, or on top of the impact you've already had, what is this? What is the impact you want to have on your industry or your people? What is that legacy that Julie wants to leave?
1: Hmm. That's a good question and a big one. Um, (laughs) I have insatiable curiosity, um, and so I'm a, I'm, I am constantly learning. Um, so impact on the profession. Um, we have, in the field of physical therapy, not all that neurological in particular. Uh, not all that many of us um, are neurological specialists, and fewer of us are vestibular concussion specialists. And those of us that are, that few in number, are moving into the phase of clinical retirement. Um, Coupled with the fact that our young professionals are trained to understand something called evidence-based medicine. So when I started, and many of us older neurological clinicians started, (laughs) there wasn't any evidence. We didn't have evidence. We had to create it. And we had to, as I said at the beginning, apply what we knew about neuroscience and neurophysiology to a patient and keep working with them until we got it right. Um, And so we were in a different type of practice. We were in kind of a feed-forward practice where we had to be in the trenches, figure out what interventions were necessary, what interventions worked, and then write those protocols. Um, Now, young professionals are told the opposite of that. They're told not to do anything that isn't already proven in the literature, evidence-based medicine. Um, And so my my current idea um, is to pair a schooled old clinician with a young uh, research-oriented clinician or a young researcher or Mm. uh, academia-driven professional. And so to take the, the knowledge that the older professionals have gained through their clinical practice and pair it with a young um, person who has the need to be able to read that evidence yeah. and get more published. Um, so it, particularly in the area of vestibular and concussion therapies, uh, because we need a lot more publications and we need to harness the knowledge that's been created um, by the people who've been in practice for 30 and 40 years. Um, so, th- so that's what I'm looking to do in the next probably five years. So, passing, from a passing the,
0: passing the torch.
1: Right. I like uh, it. The mentoring. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and really being able to not just mentor an individual, um, but to mentor a young profession, and in so doing, forward the field. Uh, to provide the evidence so that then the younger people have access to the evidence they need to practice with Um, and then I I really enjoy um, educating as well I teach a lot I have taught professional seminars for many many years Um, I do enjoy that and so continuing to help the athletic community expand their concussion protocols in all the aspects that we've talked about um, and, and meeting with other groups and really helping get more awareness and more information out about identification and treatment of concussion. Um, so I'll be continuing to do that as my, kids, my two sons, uh, 16 and 19. And so um, as the younger one's ready to get off and fly on his own, then that'll open up some more opportunity for me to do that. Um, so that's that's what my future looks like professionally. Very um, good. And you know, we only have so much control over that. Right. So we'll see.
0: Yeah. Very good. I, uh, I'm just kind of on the other realm too. I, I just, uh, this last weekend I've done speaking seminars and led seminars, all the North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana, Wyoming. Um, but I got asked to fly out to Austin, Texas and do, a much bigger, um, event. And so I just got back from that speaking on the road and it, I'm, I'm, I'm a young individual and it takes it out of you. The road just <laughs> crushes you. <laughs> oh my. But, it's
1: exhausting. Oh, it
0: is. It yeah. is. It's, uh, it's very enjoyable, but it does take a toll on you. And, um, I, uh, I, I truly enjoy that. And so I, I hope the best for you on that end as well. It's a, it's a lot of fun. And again, passing that torch and being able to push the industry is all that I look for. And from the sounds of it, that's all you're looking for. So I, uh, I truly, truly uh, appreciate your time. It was amazing. We, uh, We're able to talk about a lot of stuff that, um, again, I learned a lot, uh, and I hope everybody listening to this learned a lot. I will, uh, I'll catch up with you here just in a second once I'm done recording, but I thank you so much for your time. It was, it was a blast.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for the invitation.
0: Yes, no problem. So everybody, that is another episode, another dense episode of next level radio. Tune in next week. Um, oh, one, one last thing. Where can people reach you if they're in the Denver area? What's the best uh, way to get your services?
1: NeuroBalancePT.com.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So that is it. Thank you so much, Julie. We will talk to all you people later and have a wonderful, wonderful day.